0: You're listening to audio from Park Church. More info and resources are online at parkchurch.org. Take care. Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians um, chapter three, verses seven through 13. Again, that's Ephesians three, seven through 13.
1: Thank you, Adrian. Good morning. It's good to see you all. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. Thanks for being with us. Uh, A couple of things before we get into this passage. Um, One, if you're new to Park Church, I want to say welcome to you. Uh, Grateful that you're here right after the service. Uh, In a room marked introductions over in that back corner of what we call the gallery, one of our staff members will be there to get to know you a little bit and help you find some ways if you're looking to get more Involved in our church family or have questions, answer those questions and help you hear a little bit more and get more involved if you're looking to. Um, Second, I'm going to take a few minutes uh, just to talk about this. We are walking through a pretty just significant season as a church right now. Um, If you were here the past couple of weeks in the Highlands or if you're a part of the downtown congregation, you're aware we've kind of been sharing. Uh, We officially last week had our last gathering with Park Church Downtown. Uh, to give you a little bit of a story, uh, we entered into a kind of a new congregation of Park Church downtown about a year ago through a merger with another church in the city. And I think God did some really beautiful things uh, in and through that congregation. God was meeting with people in significant ways. People were experiencing growth and change, loving and serving the city in meaningful ways. Uh, but there's also, there are a lot of challenges we are walking through, a lot of challenges in the attempt to kind of bring these Churches together, especially as a leadership team, brought a number of pain points and difficulties and tensions that, again, to be candid, was just a really uh, a painful experience on a number of different levels uh, for a number of our leaders and for different people within the congregation as well. And after a long season of trying to work through those uh, with our elder team, we decided to shut down the downtown congregation and to go back to being two distinct churches in the city and so Grace City Church still meets downtown, and, uh, and we here are one church in one location, Park Church. And, and there are a lot of people, whether you feel really personally connected, there are people right here uh, with us this morning, leaders and people that are part of that congregation that have been walking through that. And it's just a, it's an emotionally hard space to be in. Uh, like I said, for different people in different ways, there's pain and challenges to transition back uh, to the highlands for those who are transitioning back comes with a lot of emotional complexity, and uh, I want to be a church that's aware of that. Uh, also, throughout the whole thing, as a leadership team, it's just a humbling reality. We tried to do something uh, that we felt excited about at times, and, uh, and in the end, it failed significantly in a way that caused a lot of pain to a lot of people that I love a lot, and, uh, and that's just a humbling thing. And so as a leadership team, we just want to be honest about that as a, as a reality. And we don't want to sweep it under the rug. We don't want to minimize the impact on people we love and care about a lot. Uh, we don't want to kind of like tuck it away and, uh, and just smile and pretend like everything's happy and good. You might feel really encouraged. Maybe you're new to Park Church or you're, you've been disconnected and you feel like, man, God's meeting you and you're encouraged. Just know that there, there are a lot of us and a lot of people that are walking through just a harder thing as a part of this church family, and we want to be honest about that. Um, for those that are coming back from downtown that are here today, Uh, For you to be here today is a gift, and we're grateful that you're here praying for you and continue to walk with you through the complexity of this. Uh, For those that have been a part of Park Church for a long time, and you've felt some of the brokenness in our own church, and you feel those tensions, and you have questions, we're going to walk through this with you. If you have questions as an elder team, we're trying to be as available as we can possibly be to walk with our church through that. We just want to be honest about the failure of it. We want to take responsibility for the impact of that and want to care for as best we can uh, this community as we walk through it. And so if you feel totally disconnected from any of that, I uh, just want to invite you to be praying for our church and trying to show compassion and be a compassionate presence uh, for our church family in this time. A lot of our leaders are weary. It's been a, a long, hard season in some of those ways. And, and so we are, as a leadership team, trying to step back and say, God, what are you teaching us through the failure of this? What are you teaching us through the pain of this? What are you trying to refine or reveal or accomplish? What do you want to do in us a- as a team? And if you're looking for a church that's going to kind of always be, like, happy and kind of everything's going great, like, I just, like, it's not Park. I just know that uh, it's not us. It's, like, uh, just not, it's not us. Uh, we are a, a broken people. I think God does beautiful things in and through this community. Uh, but there's also brokenness and pain and there's a lot for us to learn. And uh, there are a lot of areas where we need to grow and there are a lot of ways that this is humbling and reminding us how dependent we are and need to be on the power of God and the presence of God. And, uh, and so just invite you to be that um, uh, God would meet us with his grace, that his grace would be sufficient, bring healing and restoration for those that feel weary and, uh, and for those that feel maybe in some ways disoriented, uh, that we just be uh, as best we can in a community where we can walk through this and let God meet us in, in these spaces in meaningful ways. I really believe he will, but the way he'll do that is not by us pretending that everything's okay. Uh, the way that God tends to meet us in the pain is when we're really honest about, about it, when we take responsibility for it, and when we're willing to slow down and say, God, what do you, what do you want to do in us? Have your way teach us, refine us, redirect us. Um, our leadership team is, is spending some time to really evaluate in the season. What have we learned from this? What are the things that God might want to show us and reveal and refine and teach us? And how do we lean into that and be honest about those areas? And, and I, don't, I don't see all of it. I don't see it all clearly. I've always wanted to be this leader that's like, I know where we're going and I know what it's going to be and I know what it's all gonna look like. And I, I just don't right now. I'm, I'm disoriented also. I feel like, God, what are you doing? It's like hard. It's hard. I feel like, God, what are you doing? And As we step back as a team and say, God, what do you want us to see? Where do you want us to grow? What do you want to refine? What do you want to prune? Where do you want to discipline us? What do you want to change in our culture? What do you want to grow in us and do in us in the future? I just invite you to be praying. Uh, As a part of this church family, just be praying that God would do meaningful things in the challenges of this season. Again, you don't have to feel the challenges personally, but just I want you to be aware uh, that it's a challenging season. And again, if you want to be in a community that's not going through challenging things like uh, or won't, uh, you know, I can't speak for all the other churches. I could probably speak for most of them, uh, but I know it's not park. I know like, we are a community that will continue to walk through difficulties. It's a part of uh, being a, a broken people that are learning to look uh, at a gracious God. And that's what we want to talk about today a little bit is talk about the church, what is the church? The church can be a supremely disappointing experience for a lot of us, and uh, and if you haven't experienced that before, uh, you know, welcome to Park Church. Uh, stay around, and you will, um, you will. And I, I say that not to make light of it, but just to be honest about. It. So I want to. We're on the fourth of a series we call Pastoral Words. Next week we're going to pick up back in the Matthew series, but today we're just going to talk about the church, and uh, and how is it that God loves this thing called the church what is the church and how does god love it and and where does god meet us in the midst of the broken spaces and places where we find ourselves and uh and i have been like weirdly encouraged um just to see god's faithfulness to broken people and broken communities throughout history and i hope hope god meets you today wherever you're at uh, to see his grace his love his mercy his faithfulness and that at the end of the day when we see our own weakness and you see the weakness of your leaders and you see the brokenness and the mistakes that we make, and you feel the impact of that, uh, that our eyes would lift up to Jesus and see his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace, and his power uh, at work in and through uh, broken people like us. And so I'd invite you just to pray. I believe the Holy Spirit's here and, uh, and really wants to meet us in these in these times. And so let's take a minute and just tune our hearts uh, to the presence of God. And Jesus, we come right now and we ask for your Holy Spirit to meet all of us in the complexities of this moment. A lot of people coming in today uh, encouraged, excited, maybe things going well in their life, or they're maybe experiencing your grace in really meaningful and transformative ways, and we celebrate that. We want to rejoice with those who rejoice. Uh, Others come into this space today uh, confused and disoriented, uh, frustrated a little bit, and uh, maybe just feeling pain or some numbness, whatever it might be right now. um, Just would you meet them? We want to be a community that weeps with those who weep. And probably for a lot of us, there's areas of rejoicing and areas of weeping. And so thanks for being a God who meets us in the complexities of the human experience. Would you today meet this congregation, every individual, but also us as a whole, to lift our eyes to Jesus, to see his mercy, to see his grace, to see, uh, God, your faithfulness and your kindness towards us and that our hope would be increasingly uh, in you, in your promises, in your steadfast love. Uh, Your steadfast love is better than life. Help us to taste and see that. Today we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever seen the meme that floats around uh, on expectation versus reality. Have you guys seen that meme? A couple people. There's always like this picture of like what you expected something to be, and then there's another picture of what it actually was, right? So maybe you're like looking to decorate a cake for your, you know, your one-year-old's first birthday and you find this Olaf cake, you know, and you have this picture of it. It looks awesome and you try to make it and it ends up being this like lumpy white blob with like a creepy smile that like terrify a child. And, uh, and like, it's like this, it's like, you know, turns out like seeing a picture of a professionally decorated cake doesn't make you a professional cake decorator. It just like doesn't happen or you see these pictures like hey if you get on this diet or if you get on this fitness plan you know you have this image like you'll look like this you know photoshopped image of some celebrity and it turns out like you get on the diet and you do the fitness plan and it turns out you're just like a slightly healthier version of you you know just like it's still still you uh still you beautiful god designed image god you um still you um, or, or, you know, I've done this before. Like, you know, Amazon shopping for clothes is never a great thing. Uh, returns, you know, as long as it's free returns. But, you know, like that coat, that jacket looks really cool. And looks like it fits great. And I bet it'll fit. And you get it. And like, I bet I'll feel like good in this jacket. And it's like, turns out I'm still like tall and lanky with a super long torso. And it fits awkwardly. And it's like, it looks so cool on that guy. And on me, it just looks like I'm trying way too hard. And... Uh, and, and like, this is the experience, right? And, and we can talk about things that are funny about that, like little light things. But the reality is that the experience of having expectations and reality that fall short of it uh, kind of meets us in harder spaces. It meets us in marriage. You have an expectation of what marriage is going to be, and the reality is maybe it's harder meets us in a dating relationship. You entered into a new dating relationship and it felt like all the, you know, all the lights were going off and the chemistry was awesome and you had this hope, this is going to be the one and it comes to a really disappointing and painful end at times. Or... Maybe it's with your your children or with a new job or you moved to Denver and you thought, I'm going to move to Denver, get off on a new foot. I'm going to be in the city. I'm going to make all these friends and COVID happens or making friendship is more difficult or I'm going to go to this small group and I'm going to be known and loved and know people and we're going to have that great community and it's taking longer and it's not as great as it was or whatever it might be. And, And when we have this gap between our expectations and reality in that space, there's a disappointment. In the space between our expectations and reality, there's real disappointment. That disappointment can be incredibly painful. There are times to grieve those losses and that kind of experience. Uh, there are times where the disappointment we feel leads to real senses of discouragement, depression, disillusionment that are really complicated. They can be really disorienting at times. We have to ask questions about like, hey, were those even conscious expectations? We have to ask questions, were those realistic expectations? But the experience of unmet expectations and disappointment is real and perhaps there are few experiences in this world that can be as disappointing and discouraging as the experience of church. Church. Church can be a supremely disappointing experience because we all come into a community with expectations You have expectations based on just personal desires of what church ought to be. You have expectations based on your past or experiences that you've had. And so we come into church with expectations about what Sundays are going to be like or what my small group's going to be like or the ways God's going to change me through this or what this is going to mean for my family. Like if I get my family into church, then everything's going to feel better or what this will be like at a relational level. I'll have these connections. And we come in with those expectations. And what you will inevitably experience, again, if you haven't, yet, like, buckle up, um, is disappointment. Disappointment. I remember um, in 2009, uh, my wife and I moved to Colorado to uh, plant a church, and I had all these dreams of, like, the the way the church could be, like, this... This church is going to be the one, right? Like, and it's going to, we're going to love our neighbors really well. And we're going to see people come to Christ and we're going to see people transform. We're going to see vulnerable community where people are experiencing change. We're going to love and serve the city and we're going to plant new churches. And and if all things go according to plan, we will change the world. You know, like we will. And, uh, you know, 12 years later in my experience of church, we have seen people come to Christ. We have seen neighbors loved, we've seen lives transformed, we've seen communities started and churches planted, and we've also experienced pain and discouragement, things that make you want to give up, not just on church, but on Christianity at times. I have experienced pain. I have caused pain. I've watched people wrestle and struggle and walk away from the faith. I have felt brokenness and inadequacy more ways than I could even like possibly begin to unpack. I've come face to face with my own limitations and weakness and brokenness as a human being in ways that are humbling to the core. And there are parts of church that have been so disappointing, so discouraging, and there are times where I've wanted to just walk away from all of it. I want to walk away from it. I just want to walk away. It's like, oh, this is always so frustrating and so hard and so discouraging. And, and many of you have felt similar things at times, disoriented. You felt the challenges and the difficulty. I just like, keep coming back. I, I follow Jesus, and Jesus loves the church. He just loves it. He loves it. And so that's a question. How can he love this broken thing so much? And it's so hard to love. It's so discouraging at times. How can he love it so much when I feel like my dreams and my ideal vision of what I hoped it could be and want it to be and keep striving for it to be and keep feeling maybe the disappointments settle in? How is it Jesus loves it so much? Uh, there's a Uh, A book by Dietrich Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a classic book called Life Together. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor, a theologian from Germany, had a really prophetic voice uh, during kind of the rise of Nazism and the Third Reich and during World War II, ended up dying in a concentration camp because of his faith in Christ and his advocacy for the gospel and for uh, the dignity of other human beings. And he wrote this in his book Life Together. He said, innumerable times... The whole Christian community has broken down because it had sprung from a wish dream. And you hear the word wish dream, think an ideal picture. This is what it needs to be. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and to try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we're fortunate, with ourselves. Only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment, with all of its unhappy and ugly aspects, begins to be what it should be in God's sight begins to grasp, in faith, the promise that is given to it. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists upon keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses, in that moment, the promise of Christian community. Sooner or later, it will collapse. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community. And it must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. And in my margin, I have this word, ouch, ouch. Because I bring with me all these expectations of what it could be and what it's supposed to be and where did I get those expectations from? A lot of them from the Bible, turns out. Like the Bible has this beautiful picture of what the church can be and is called to be. And so how do we rectify, how do we justify these kind of beautiful visions of what the church is supposed to be and then the experience of brokenness and pain that's so kind of common and so real for anybody that's been around Christian community for so long. That's what I want to just like settle in for a minute. And I'm gonna look specifically at this verse right here in the middle of Ephesians three and just make kind of four observations uh, about God's design for the church from really the whole of Scripture, a little bit of a biblical theology of God's faithfulness to his broken people, is what we're gonna to do today. But I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter three. Paul as an apostle, had been redeemed by grace through faith in Jesus. God sent him out, filled him with his spirit, and sent him out to bring the good news of Jesus the Son of God who entered into the world to meet us in our brokenness. He laid down his life. He atoned for our sin, forgave us, cleanses us, washes us, reconciles us to God, fills us with his Spirit, and builds through us a new kind of community. And Paul is supposed to be preaching this good news from city to city and spreading the news. And God had called him to that, to bring it to not just the Jewish people through whom the Messiah had come, but to all the nations of the world. And so that's what he's talking about here, his personal calling from Jesus in Ephesians 3, uh, verse 7. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, that's to the nations, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What Paul says is his calling is to bring this gospel of Jesus to bear so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be put on display, not just for human beings, but for spiritual beings, like that the whole universe, including beings that you could never even fathom their existence, would look at the church and see something about the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold wisdom of God. It's a powerful vision. It's a lot that he's saying that the church is supposed to be putting on display. And then we step back and we see the reality of the brokenness. We say, how did these things come together? How can there be such this beautiful vision of what the church is supposed to be? And then this experience. And Paul knew the experience of the brokenness. He wrote a lot of letters to churches in the midst of the brokenness. And so I want to talk about what that looks like. And so I'm going to make really, again, four observations uh, that come from really a whole biblical theology, but all of them are also found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And the first is this. We are the church. We are. With all of the beauty and the brokenness of each of us that we all bring to the table, we are the church. The church is not a building. It's not an event that you attend. It's not a gathering. It's us. Uh, We are the church. Um, In uh, In this letter, Paul will refer to the church with this Greek word ekklesia, which just means the called out ones. They were used to kind of describe a called out assembly when you're gathering a group of people together. This is the church. It's this assembly. It includes regular gathering, but it's way bigger than that. It's you and me. It's the people of God. We are the people in whom God has put his spirit. We're the people in whom God is working in us and through us to accomplish his eternal purposes. It's us. It's you and me with all the things that we bring to the table. And in the letter to the Ephesians, he uses at least three images to describe the church and different aspects of God's relationship. One is this image of the bride of Christ. In Ephesians 5, he talks about Jesus as this groom who has laid down his life to show faithful love to the church, the bride of Christ. And that image of the church as the bride of Christ is highlighting in the midst of all of our unfaithfulness, in the midst of all of our wandering, all of our blemishes, all of our frustrations, God stays faithful to us, pursuing us with steadfast, faithful love again and again and again. He sings over his bride. He treasures his bride. He loves his bride. In all of the brokenness, in all of the complexity, in all of the weakness, in all of the issues, Jesus loves bride. He loves the church. Another image in the letter that Paul gives is the image of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, you see this image of the church as a body, and there the metaphor is talking about Jesus as the head. He's the Lord of the body. He reigns over the body, and all of the body exists to be connected to him, but also to kind of put his character on display in the world. With all the different gifts he's given each one of us, when we learn to love one another, speak the truth and love to one another, when we stay connected to one another, when we lean into the difficulty and we are willing to mature and grow together, we together put on display an image of Jesus to the world. Even in the midst of the brokenness and the pain, that he's actually called us to be this interconnected group of different people who bring the different gifts, strengths, and resources we bring to the table to be one united body that can actually show the kind of grace of God to the world, and we can actually provide a sense of corporate maturity by our life together so that we're not constantly tossed around by every different idea that comes into the world where people are trying to build a kingdom without the king. We can actually stay faithful to Jesus through our interconnectedness as one body. And the third image he gives is the image of the temple. The temple in the Old Covenant system, you can read about this in the Old Testament. The idea of the temple is that the temple is a place of God's presence, where God's presence would be among his people, but also where God's presence would be mediated to the world. And in the New Covenant, we find as men and women filled with the Holy Spirit, that God has called us the temple. You can read about this in Ephesians 2. Or we are the temple. We are like living stones being built together with the apostles and the prophets as this foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone and God's spirit is with us right here, right now. The presence of God is with us. He's here. He loves us. He's working among us. He's tending to us individually and corporately, and he wants us to be the kinds of people that as we leave this place, we're not like leaving the presence of God. We are mediating and bringing the presence of God all over the city and scattering it all around the world through our life as spirit-filled men and women. He's actually doing this in us and through us. And it's these beautiful images that you're like, when you talk about them, I could preach vision series, like a vision series on the church as the temple, or the church as the bride, or the church as the body of Christ, and we could get excited and all the things we're going to be and all the things we're going to do. But the reality and the second reality that I want to see is it's not just that we are the church. We, the church, are broken. Always has been and will be until he comes again. We are broken. Uh, The Bible is uh, a lot of things. Uh, One of the things that is from start to finish is sort of an exposition on human brokenness from start to finish. From Adam and Eve in the garden rejecting the reign of God and leading to division in their own relationship and the pain that they brought, they were a mess. They were just a mess and they have kids, and they're kids. One child's killing another child. There's this animosity and competitiveness. Adam's, Adam and Eve's kids were a mess. And we get to Noah, and there's a judgment on the world. The world is a mess, but at least Noah is not a mess, right? Right? Until some super sketch stuff happens with his sons in a tent. You know, like, you don't even know what it is, but it was a mess. They're a mess. And he's like, well, I'm going to, through Abraham... Through Abraham, I'm gonna call out Abraham and I'm gonna bring my promise to restore all things in and through Abraham and his offspring. And so at least Abraham, right? Nope, Abraham, yep, betrays his wife in some really, really messed up ways. A lot of pain in his family, a lot of brokenness in his family. Has a kid, eventually Isaac. Isaac is a mess. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And uh, Jacob, you know, his name's gonna be Israel. This is gonna be Israel. Total mess, that guy. Uh, But his sons were a mess, right? Uh, His sons, like, sold their youngest one out as a slave. A total mess. They were a total mess. And so these 12 sons become 12 tribes. 12 tribes redeemed from Egypt, you know, through the blood of a lamb, set free from captivity in Egypt. And, like, now they're going to follow God faithfully. He gives them their instruction. And in the wilderness, they're a mess. I mean, just a total mess. And so a whole generation dies in the wilderness. God's not even going to take that generation to the promised land. He's going to start over with a whole new generation. Forty years later, this new generation is leaving the wilderness, going to the promised land, followed, you know, led by Joshua, Caleb, others. They're a mess. They're a mess. They need a king. That'll that'll fix it. Get Saul, first king of Israel. I mean, a mess. But David, finally. Finally. You know, a man after God's own heart. Massive moral failure. Tries to cover it up by getting the wife or the husband of Bathsheba murdered in battle. And, And then his family falls apart. One son kills another son. Dysfunction everywhere, brokenness. The kingdom crumbles. He finally hands off the kingdom to his son, Solomon. Solomon's kids split the whole kingdom. It is a mess. The prophets start coming and saying, You know, God's going to be faithful. He's going to be faithful. He's going to be faithful. Even though you're faithless, even though you're a mess, God is going to be faithful. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is faithful. Turn to him. Turn to him. Turn to him. And they continue in this broken, dysfunctional mess, generation after generation. You think, finally, when the Messiah comes, it's all going to be fixed. It's all going to be better. And you get the 12 apostles and they're a mess. They doubt him constantly. They're questioning him. They're terrified. They're like thick-headed and can't figure it out as clear as he tries to be with them about who he is. They still are confused and bewildered. And in this time of greatest need, right, he's betrayed by one of his closest friends. All of the twelve scatter, and Peter, the one up upon whom he's going to build his church, denies him three times. It's a mess. Jesus dies on the cross, having been abandoned by these followers through whom he's going to build his church. And it's like, well, then the resurrection happens. And wait till the Spirit comes. Then it's going to be better, right? And so you read the book of Acts. The Spirit of God's poured out on the followers of Jesus. And you're like, this. Now they've got the Spirit of God. Now they're going to be great. And you read the book of Acts, and you can get pumped on the book of Acts. I mean, cool stories, transformation, churches getting planted, healing, prophetic gifts, power, God at work, the church is spreading. And then you read all the letters that are written to the churches mentioned in the book of Acts. And you read, like, 1 Corinthians, and you're like, ooh what was happening with who, you know, and um, it was a mess. It was a mess. In Ephesians, there's a lot of divisions in the church. In Galatians, Paul's like, who bewitched you? You know, like, uh, it's, it's a mess. Church history is full of schisms and divisions and heresies and councils where they're like, who's right? Who's wrong? And we're like, "Ah, oh, we're right. You're wrong. So let's burn you because that feels like a Jesus-y thing to do. It's a mess, but we finally figured it out here at Park Church. You know, (laughs) if you've been around Park, you already know this. We're, what? We're a mess. We're a mess because it's people like me and it's people like you. This is this is the church. It's hard. It's hard, and and we as a people want to, like, be honest about that brokenness, but it's not just like this kind of discouraging thing. What what kind of looms over all of that mess is the grace of Jesus, the mercy of God, the steadfast love of God who always keeps covenant, a God who is faithful with us again and again and again, not just to his corporate people, but to you and I in our own journeys. In all of the mess of your life and of my life, he's gracious, he's merciful, he has steadfast love, he is faithful again and again and again. So that over all of human history, over all of the mess of humanity, including the people of God, including Park Church, and Park Church is absolutely not better than other churches in the city. If you're like, oh, I finally found a good church, stay around, you know, just like uh, stick around, we will disappoint you. We will, we will, small group will be harder than you want it to be. Friendships will be challenging. You'll feel pain, you'll walk through difficulty. Our leadership team, I will disappoint you, we'll make mistakes, we will fail, and those failures matter, and it causes pain. And God's steadfast love reigns over all of it to radiate and to magnify his love in the midst of our brokenness. Now I wanna be really, really clear that the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the faithfulness of God over our brokenness and in and through our brokenness does not give us reason to excuse or to sweep under the rug or not take responsibility for the reality of our brokenness. If you're like, well, God's merciful, like just, you know, it's okay. It's not okay. The mistakes we make matter. The pain that's caused through our sin and our brokenness and our issues, it matters. But it's because of the steadfast love of God we can be honest about it. It's because of the grace of God we can take responsibility for it. Because of the mercy of God, we can actually believe that God will actually meet us to grow us and mature us little by little as we face those realities head on. And that's the same in your own life. It's the same in your own life. As you look at God's grace and mercy to you, it ought to increasingly be a reason not to think about how great you are and you, know, you can't pay attention to your brokenness, you have to be great. You can actually get super real that you are a what? you're a mess. Me too. No offense. We're human. There's brokenness and there's sin and there's dysfunction. The rabbit hole of darkness goes way deeper in our hearts and the human heart than we want to admit. And weirdly, it is the love of God that lets us get honest about it. Not to deny it, not to tuck it away, not to minimize it, not to shirk responsibility, but to say, this is real. The brokenness in me is real. And it is a counterintuitive reality that when we open up and we're honest about the reality of our brokenness and weakness, God meets us with transformative grace. And that's the third thing I want us to see is that the path towards grace and transformation is confession and repentance. That confession and repentance are the path towards grace and transformation. Again, the, the reality of God's faithful love to his people isn't a reason to ignore brokenness, ignore pain, or minimize it. It's an opportunity that we ought to be the best people in the world to get really honest about the reality of the brokenness within each of us and as a church. As a church. Just to get real about it. to Be honest about it. To take responsibility for it, not lightly. To feel the impact of the mistakes we make on other people. Like For me to slow down and say, what's the impact? of what we walk through with downtown on the lives of people in this church. What's the impact? Because it matters. We Talk about intentions all day long, what we hoped to do, what we hoped it would be. What's the impact? It matters. As a leadership team, we have to assess that. We have to take responsibility for that. I believe God can meet us and grow us and mature us and refine us through that, but it's humbling, it's hard, but it's the way that God meets us, it's the way he matures us, it's the way we grow. It's the same for you in your personal life. To look at your marriage, to look at your friendships, to look at breakdowns in different areas and say, God, what do you want to reveal in me? To look at the addictive behaviors and the struggles with different kinds of sin, just to get real about it, not to tuck it away and pretend like I can't face that dark part of myself. I'm going to pretend to myself and to everybody else that I'm all this good stuff. It's like you're also that bad stuff. It's also part of who you are. And actually being honest about it, what the Bible calls is just confessing it. It's acknowledging the reality of the brokenness within us. And when, according to John the Apostle, we confess our sins, and we acknowledge the reality of our brokenness and our sin, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And grace, when grace meets us in those painful points, instead of denying it, minimizing it, suppressing it, distancing it, when we are honest about it and we stare it in the face and we experience God's steadfast love and we experience God's grace for us in those spaces, it is transformative. It is grace that trains us towards renouncing the ungodly behaviors and patterns and to live these kind of upright lives. It's grace that changes. us. It's the power of the gospel at work in us and through us that changes us little by little to be people that know more of God's love for us because we feel more astounded by his love. We understand more of how amazing his grace is because we understand more how much we fall short and don't deserve it. We understand more about how merciful he is because we feel all of our veering and wandering and the inclinations of our heart that is perpetually running from him again and again and how he keeps pursuing us with mercy and goodness all the days of our life. We feel more in awe of his faithfulness and we feel how faithless we are in our life. And when the grace of God, mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God, when that begins to kind of make its way deeper into the kind of the depth of our being, we, little by little, become the kind of people that reflect that grace more towards others. We become people who show that kind of love more towards others. We become the people that want people to experience mercy more than we have in the past. And we want to just do that and grow in that. And it is actually embracing the brokenness in us that God begins to actually deepen his formation and his presence within us in ways that are transformative. And as a community, when we do that, we get to look back and not just like see like, man, we really did this. We've really arrived. You actually get to see God's grace and power at work through our weakness and in our weakness, which is the fourth observation. And the last one I want us to see is that the mission of God has always been accomplished in and through his broken people. The mission of God has always been accomplished in and through his broken people, always. Uh, and I want you to see it here in this passage again, Ephesians 3. Look at what it says in verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul's saying is before the foundation of the world, God planned to do it this way, this way, in and through broken people in and through people where he was going to show his steadfast love. He was going to show his grace. He was going to show his mercy. He was going to show his faithfulness so that at the end of time when all things are made new and we stand with Jesus and all the heaven and earth have been reconciled and everything has been restored, we see ourselves not as like, wow, humans did a great job. You know, what do we stand and say? I and mean, it is all to the praise of the glory of his grace. It is all the kind of thing that he will cultivate in us is the kind of people that say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We will sing of his mercy. Redeeming love will be our song. It will be the theme of our song. It will be his faithfulness again and again and again. That As a people, we will rejoice in the steadfast love of God and Jesus. We will marvel at his love for us displayed on Calvary and his faithful, faithfulness to us again and again and again. And as a, as a of human race, we will stand before him in awe and we will worship Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We will worship Jesus as a gracious, merciful, loving Savior that he is. We will see the steadfast love of God and we will rejoice. And we won't have anything to bring. I think of that old hymn, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress. Helpless, I look to thee for grace. Foul, I too thy fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. All these old hymns, the men and women who have gone before us, singing these truths over us again and again and again about the reality of our brokenness and God's incredible grace and love and mercy towards us. I had a professor once in talking about Ephesians where Paul talks about the church being dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are running away from God. We are following the leadership of Satan, kind of in rebellion against God. But God, by his grace, made us alive. He seated us with Christ in the heavenly places so that these kind of spiritual beings in all of the world, when they see the church seated at the right hand of God, it will be very clear we did not do this. And the professor said to me, it's like a turtle on a fence post. If you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you know it didn't get there by itself. You You just know that. Like, it didn't do that. Turtles... Turtles can't get on fence posts. Somebody else did that. And that's us. We're the the turtle on a fence post. Loved by God, seated at the right hand of Christ in the heavenly places, adorned with all of his mercy and grace, and it's going to be super clear, we we didn't do that. We didn't do that. We were a mess. And it will all be to the praise of the glory of his grace. That human history kind of like Culminates. You read about this in the book of Revelation, all these kind of narratives in Revelation, these narrative themes that are finally coming to this like culminating moment, and all of it just like erupts in doxology and praise to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and praise the steadfast love of God and His power at work in human weakness, His grace at work through human brokenness, His mercy towards us again and again. And that's going to be the theme of our song as a church. We're not going to, like, learn from this and move beyond weakness. Weakness is the way. It's just the way. We're not going to move on from this and never fail again because God's called us to continue to be a part of his mission in the midst of our brokenness, and we're going to make more mistakes. We're not going to move on from this and finally be, like, thoroughly healthy and have no dysfunction or unhealth. We want to pay attention. We want to grow. We want to learn, and we're committed to that but want to be a community that keeps leaning in because of God's steadfast love, his grace, his mercy. And when we do that, if the theme of our song is Park Church was a mess, but God's faithfulness, God's grace, God's steadfast love, better than life. Better than life. And the same for you. If at the end of your days you're like, man, I kind of dominated life. I won that game. And that's a different kind of song. But the song at the end of your days that say, thanks be to God for his faithfulness to me, his grace towards me, his love towards me, his steadfast love towards me is better than life. My lips want to praise him for endless days. Like that's, that's a song to sing. And that's what we want to be the theme of our song as a church. And so I invite you to be praying for us and with us as we walk through this, but also for each of you in your own story. These are the themes that begin to shape us and change us as people, and it's what we're gonna walk in as a church. So, Would you join me as we pray? Um, Jesus, right now, uh, would you pour out your grace on this community? Uh, There are people in this space right now that are enjoying so much about life, that they're tasting and seeing your goodness in life, and I pray that they would. I pray that they would taste and see your faithful love and your goodness and kindness to them. And there are many who feel a weariness in different ways for different reasons. Feel brokenness in their family, brokenness maybe with parents. Uh, They feel challenges uh, with roommates and friends or discouragement at work, physical struggles, medical issues that are discouraging in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our challenges and the difficulty and the pains that we face and feel our own failures would you help us uh, to be people who see your love uh, that your love would continue to meet us your grace would continue to meet us your faithfulness would continue to encourage us and that your grace would continue to change us i want to be people that grow and change as we walk through life and would you help us and so pour our grace on us even now and pour our grace on every person in this room. Would you meet them even now in very personal ways, we pray in Christ's name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.